Hello and welcome to the Richard Hunter interview. As ever, this is a place where I'll be discussing matters of interest with a whole range of investment experts. In this episode, I'm pleased to be joined by Gervais Williams, co-manager of the Diverse Income Trust. Gervais joined Premier Mighton in March 2011. He is head of equities and manages a number of funds and trusts. His fund management career extends over 30 years, including 17 years at Garbord Group, where he was head of UK small companies, investing in UK small companies and Irish equities. Gervais is a member of the AIM Advisory Council and a board member of the Quoted Companies Alliance. He was a member of the Patient Capital Review Panel with the Chancellor of the Exchequer, where the recommendations were put into legislation in the subsequent budget. So to kick us off with the uh, Diverse Income Trust, what differentiates the strategy from others and how is that represented in the outcome for the trust? Yeah, what's interesting about the Diverse Income Trust is we're not really trying to keep up with the stock market or even outperform the peer group. At its core, we feel if we can really concentrate on investing in stocks which generate surplus cash and hopefully plentiful surplus cash that generates dividend growth, if we get better dividend growth across the time period, then that will drive up not just the returns in terms of the income, but also drag up the share prices alongside that. So, so it's a combination really of the focus on income uh, and most particularly, we invest right away across the stock market. That includes some FTSE 100 companies, some of the companies that are further down the market cap range, and many of those in the aid market. In fact, the largest cohort in the portfolio is in the aid market. So it's really a focus on income-generating assets and all the income-generating assets with good and growing income across the London Stock Exchange. So how much do the percentages in large, mid and small caps vary, and, and where are they currently? They do vary. Not massively. To be fair, uh, the, the A market uh, contingent in the portfolio has probably been about a third of the portfolio right the way through the last 10 years since the fund was first set up. So that's been relatively consistent. Uh, the weightings in the FTSE 100 do go up and down a little bit. So do those of the 250. Uh, so it's not fixed, but there is generally a, a good cohort, maybe a third or, or 40% in, in, in many mid and large cap stocks. Uh, and then quite a range in other companies, perhaps some smaller quoted companies, some AIM listed stocks and such like. So it's, it's quite a wide ranging. It doesn't change a lot, but there is some modest changes along the way. And would you say that uh, after smaller companies have had such a good run, are they overdue something of a, a mean reversion? Yes, it's interesting, really. Uh, UK quoted companies uh, have been out of fashion themselves for the last four or five years due to the uh, Brexit. Uh, and if anything, we would argue that many of the domestic issues, particularly some small quoted companies, have been out of fashion, not just because of the Brexit issues and the focus on domestic earnings, but also because, in fact, many investors concentrate on mid and large cap stocks. And so the UK's uh, cohort of small and micro caps are very overlooked from that point of view. Uh, and if anything, uh, this they've had a little bit of a catch up. Uh, but actually, we still feel there's plenty more to go. Indeed, we would argue if there's a, a focus perhaps on uh, more uncertainty in the future, maybe uh, inflation picks up or whatever, uh, then companies which are generating plentiful cash not only uh, have the advantage of being more resilient, but actually can take advantage of the weakness of others, but also small quoted companies in themselves are less dependent on world growth. And in that regard, have more ability to grow, perhaps where, if the world is, is more unsettled due to perhaps not just inflation, but rising tax rates and, and geopolitical events. So w with that in mind, and, and perhaps just to put a, a bit of colour uh, onto the trust. Perhaps you could um, talk us through uh, two or three of the top holdings or positions. 
what we look for is companies which are uh, quite uh, strong in their marketplaces, but actually generating plenty of surplus cash. Uh, perhaps an example might be something like uh, DWF. DWF is a legal business. Um, uh, it's a company which came to market. Uh, they did have a change of uh, leadership quite soon after they came to market because it didn't trade particularly well in the early part of the uh, COVID uh, uh, setback. Uh, and with a change of, of leadership, in fact, the business is now generating not just plenty of cash, but also is able to grow its dividend and grow its dividends very nicely. So here's a company which is already appreciated from, from, from you know, a relatively low price it came down to after it came to, to market, uh, up to a valuation which is about 350 million market cap. It's, it's not a big company, but most particularly for the year just finished, it's still only on a, a valuation of 12 and a half, a PE of 12 and a half times, which is not a demanding valuation. That's for April 2021. Um, and actually for the coming year, uh, it's on 10.6 times. So there's a business which is uh, playing a nice yield. Uh, it's paying a four and a half percent yield. It's growing nicely, but most particularly is not on a very demanding valuation. And there are plenty of these kinds of stocks around the stock market, which we find, which are in aggregate or little dominant niches of their own little niches area, but able to invest and generate good and growing income going forward. Okay. And, and um, is there anything else within the uh, the perhaps larger end in terms of your top holdings that uh, might be of interest to our listeners? Yeah, we, 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 what we really like is investing in companies which are um, not just uh, sort of, you know, a bit having the ability to grow, but are not necessarily just reliant on global growth, which have a, a diversification effect. And, and some of the gold mining companies in the main market, Polymetal, for example, is again, not on a very demanding valuation. It's particularly uh, generating cash as gold price recovers. And most particularly in the middle of last year, when we had the uncertainty about the pandemic, the gold price actually rose at a time when the stock market was falling. So its income actually grew at a time when only many others were cutting the dividends. Again, it's that diversification. You can get some mainstream companies like Polymetal, you can get some smaller quoted companies like uh, uh, Sentiment, for example, which is another gold mining company. Again, well positioned to generate surplus cash and good and growing income. So, so most particularly, there's just a wide range of those kinds of stocks across the big and the small cap size, size, size bands. It's really interesting. You should, you've mentioned a, a mining stock in as much as uh, a lot of the fund managers that I speak to for whatever reason, uh, tend to give the, the mining sector a wide berth. But clearly, it's one that, uh, for, you know, with which you're quite comfortable. Yeah, I mean, what we do take very seriously is the issues about uh, sustainability. Now, that, you know, even before uh, ESG, environmental, social and governance issues became so prominent, we were interested in these well before that. And the whole point of being about, about being a mining company is that you are a visitor in many cases in the country. And if you don't look after your staff and if you pollute the areas, quite honestly, the local government will throw you out. So from that point of view, you've always had to be really interested in, in the issues to do with uh, engaging with the local people, making sure you get the support of uh, the wider population and such like. So all of that's actually inbred. Now, if you look actually the Polymetal Sustainability Report, possibly because it's a mining company and possibly because people worry about it, I would say it's almost exemplar. It's almost better than most other mining companies you can see. So, so it's not that we're negative or, or, or less concerned about uh, things to do with governance and, and the climate change issues. We're, we're very interested in that, but we're investing in companies which are already uh, doing something about it and moving from perhaps being uh, relatively significant in terms of carbon emissions and reducing those going forward. Now, clearly, we've had a, a quite extraordinary 12, 15, 18 months. Um, how have you found that the trust has been coping during that very difficult environment? And indeed, did maybe 2020 give you the opportunity to add new names to the portfolio? 
Yeah, so it's quite interesting. I mean, when we looked at uh, going into the uh, pandemic recessions, pandemic-induced recession, what was interesting is that we tend to uh, come out of holdings which are vulnerable to dividend cuts and such like. Uh, there were a few consumer-related stocks in March and April of last year, which we sold. Go Ahead, which is a bus company, uh, is a very good company, but clearly revenues were going to be under pressure. Uh, Rank, which is a business involved in bingos, uh, is a very good operator again, but clearly they're not going to get the kind of return in terms of cash generation that we had previously. So we did sell a number of holdings. On top of that, actually, we had a put option. The put option is a bit like uh, stock market insurance. Uh, it tends to, like your, your insurance, it tends to cave to valueless. You know, in other words, if you don't in, in claim on your insurance, you don't get your insurance premium back. But, but it was there for the extreme rainy day. And of course, the pandemic was an extreme rainy day. We were able to claim on that insurance that brought in extra cash. So coming back to your point, Richard, yes, we were. We were absolutely in a position to add to our holdings. Uh, so the fund actually recovered uh, well from, from the bottom of the market in March and April of last year. Uh, and then we brought in not just you know, Polymetal, for example, we bought it at the bottom of the market in that case, but we brought in other companies since that time. Some of those have been uh, secondary issues. So K3 Capital, for example, which was already in the portfolio, did a very good transaction at the bottom of the market, which was transformational. The acquisitions were transformational to their prospects, and they've grown their dividend beautifully since then. One or two have been uh, new holdings. Uh, one or two have been uh, new uh, companies in the, in the portfolio. But, but generally, the shape of the portfolio hasn't changed very much. Overall, the financials continue to dominate. Uh, there are some, 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 some cyclicals in there, but, but, but sort of mining and, and such like, uh, which get improved usage of some of those metals. But generally, the portfolio is very resilient and it's generating good and great income. Across the year as a whole, it has a May year end. We did lose some income last year in the period to May 2020 because there were some companies which passed their dividend. What we've seen subsequently is many of those companies have resumed dividends. And for the year to 2021, clearly we haven't uh, announced our figures at this stage, but we're hoping that hopefully the, the, there's a degree of recovery from the uh, income last year. And most particularly, the fund itself is in a good position, not just to sustain income, but to grow income going forward. Absolutely. And, and with that return to dividends in mind, obviously some companies have taken the opportunity to rebase, rebase previous levels. Others like the banks have, have had some government shackles or regulator shackles on them for the moment. Nonetheless, we are quickly returning to that income scenario. So we, with that in mind, um, what is your outlook for here and, and how are you positioned? Yes, I think what's been interesting about the last 30 years particularly is that we've been in a period really when uh, if you uh, knew what was going to happen in the future 30 years ago, you would have bought uh, a, a long duration bond, a long dated bond. You know, you might have bought a 30 year bond and, and inflation has been much lower than people expected for the last 30 years. And your real return on that bond would have been really excellent. Indeed, if you really knew what was going on, you probably would have bought a 60-year bond and made out like a complete bandit. Uh, of course, uh, now we are at a period where actually if you were to buy your bonds going forward, if you bought a 30-year bond or indeed a 60-year bond going forward, the only thing you can be fairly certain about is you're going to make no money. Right? And it actually could be that if we get some inflation, you could lose some money for the next 10 or 20 years before perhaps it recovers towards the end of the term. So most particularly, we think the whole market pattern is changing. And, and, and companies which are more short duration in, in assets, you know, if you were buying a one-year bond, that's a short duration asset. We would say that equity income stocks are more short duration assets. So we think actually, whilst equity income stocks have been out of fashion for the last 30 years, Going forward, we think that they're going to become not just attractive, but perhaps some of the best performers. Uh, as I mentioned at the start, the UK is tend to be a bit overlooked because of Brexit. Uh, and so we think there's a recovery prospect there. So the com combination of the UK's recovery prospects and perhaps 
the portfolios uh, focus on income generating assets, we think could particularly good to be a tailwind for the next few years. And the fund, uh, which has had a good run in the last uh, 12 months, uh, won't just hopefully generate ongoing attractive returns going forward, but actually will continue to outperform not just uh, other UK equities, but actually potentially even the US equity market, which would really catch most people by surprise. So finally, Gervais, just on on picking up on that last point, there, there does feel as if there's been something of a warming, uh, perhaps of international uh, investor sentiment toward, towards the UK. Um, do you do you share that um, that view? You, you've always clearly been uh, a supporter of the UK. Uh, is the UK market on valuation grounds alone perhaps due for its day in the sun at last? Yes, I mean, in fact, if anything, I would say that uh, people have got so used to the uh, US outperforming that many investors actually have a, a, a large weighting, not just in US equities, but also in equities which are correlated to that NASDAQ run, you know, some of the higher growth stocks, even in Europe or other places. So I think there's a real kind of correlation and concentration of risk in this area. And so from the point of view of the UK, it's not just out of fashion, perhaps coming back into fashion, but most particularly, it's less correlated with where the pattern of the markets have been for the last 30 years. And I think for that reason alone, I think people will start to rebalance their portfolio to a more even weighting. But most particularly, if the UK does outperform, as I've implied uh, in the answer to my previous question, effectively, we could see quite a lot of investors who are coming from having quite low weightings in the UK to actually participating in, in, in a market which actually uh, uh, performs. Now, on top of that, uh, you know, I'm not saying the UK economy has any better prospects of growing in, any further uh, or any faster than any of the other global stock markets. But I think the UK's makeup, not just of being uh, an income bias, a, a heritage of, of generating surplus cash, but that bias towards small and microcap companies, which can grow when the world's not growing, which can make acquisitions from companies which unfortunately fail, which are still viable. They, they, they may have been over levered, but they, they, they're, they're viable, could be acquired and generate uh, premium returns. We think that that pattern of investing in quoted microcaps is actually almost unique to the UK stock market. And so actually, it's not just the UK could recover. We think it could recover so much more uh, than most people think, and over such a longer period than most people think, that actually we're tremendously upbeat. That's not to say we you know there's not going to be zigs and zags going forward, but most particularly, we think that the opportunity for the fund is particularly attractive over you know, the coming five and 10 years. Well, we always like to finish on a positive, and that's certainly a positive. So thanks very much again for your time, Gervais, and those extremely valuable insights. And thank you for listening. Please feel free to like and subscribe. And of course, you can find much more, by the way, of investment insight and ideas at ii.co.uk. I'll be back next Tuesday with another Richard Hunter interview. Bye for now. Bye.